Welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. Good. It's, uh, it's lovely to be here. Welcome to everyone who's joined us online. It is about 8,000 degrees, isn't it? I, was, I had a conversation with myself, because Penny leaves a bit earlier than me on a Sunday morning. I had to get down to open up and whatnot. And um, can I have my water, actually? Sorry, what's somebody left me out? And um, thank you. And I was having a conversation with myself. Thank you. Uh, do you think you can get away with shorts? Yes. See, do you know what I'm worried about? You're only human out there. So, ladies, you'll be totally distracted, right? The men will be jealous. Do you know what I mean? My calves, honestly, a sight to behold. And uh, but that was the thing, so it was more for you, because I don't want you distracted from the word. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> see, you think I'm joking, but see, next week... Next week's Father's Day, and I, I think I'm speaking again, so even if it's pouring down, the legs are coming out. <laughs> you heard it here first. The, uh, isn't it funny how, um, do you know the old expression, familiarity breeds contempt? You, you all, everyone knows what that means. Familiarity breeds contempt. If you don't know what it means, it's sometimes when you're so used to something, you, you stop seeing the value of it. We just kind of get used to it, and we, we treat things of great value then with less value, because it's like, yeah, I've heard this before. Uh, do you know what I mean? And um, it's, uh, it, it was on my mind this week, actually, but that we, we need to be careful not to treat the Word of God with contempt. Now, hear what I'm saying in that. It's not that we, we go, like, I'm, I'm anti the Word of God, but if there's something in you that goes, yeah, I've heard this, whatever same old, same old, then you need to check yourself. Because there's, I don't know what you're building your life around if it's not the Word of God. Do you hear me? Genuinely. And one of the things that, that, that will work against you in your life is, a fami- is being so familiar at times with the Word of grace that you treat it with contempt. And you kind of go, whatever. It's like, <laughs> whatever. You know, like the kids. Kids don't even say that. It's not from like the TV. Whatever and all that stuff. <laughs> all right. I am showing my age, right? Because I'm going to talk this morning from a, a story. It's just a general thing. Let, let me tell you how it works, all right, before we get into this. I'm going to talk to you this morning. <laughs> Wait for it. Drum roll, Noah. You didn't see that one coming this morning, did you? Okay, good. Um, because when I hear Noah, probably what goes off in your head is, Mr. Noah built an ark, right? Down came the rain in torrents and all that. Is that right? Down came the rain in torrents, and it were fit me. Half of them aren't even saved, right? So here's the thing. So that's probably what you'll think of. And it's interesting when, because we all, we call, we all come at it in, um, from different positions and, and different experiences and all the rest of it. But what's really important to note this morning is this. Let, let me just explain to you if, how this whole thing works. Can I just make it really clear? You're not called to live by what you see, right? If you're in Christ, if you're a Christian today, you have natural sight, which is part of what God has given you, but you're not called to live that way. Why? Because there is a greater promise that sits above everything that you see in the world. If the world is just it, quite frankly, we are in big trouble. You get that? Because the world doesn't know whether it's stuffed or mounted, coming or going. And if all we can see with our natural eyes, right, whether, and that includes this church, if all you ever see is with natural eyes, then game over. All right? You following me? What does the Word say? The Word says that the, 
the people, who, people who are in Christ, the righteous, you and I, are called to live by faith and not by sight, right? We've got to live by a greater standard, a greater promise than simply what we can see. And you'll know people who simply walk by sight because they treat the word with contempt or they just get blasé about it. So whatever. But what happens is the Lord says this, faith comes. So if I've, if I've got to live by faith, faith means trust. How do I do that? Well, the word of God comes to you and the word of God comes again and you hear it says in Romans and you hear and you keep hearing. And what happens then is as, as the word of God comes, time, the word of grace comes, faith builds in you. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing of the word of Christ. All right? Now, what does that mean in real life? Well, what it means is when you read the word, there are pictures associated with it. I'm going to talk about Noah today. And most of you will, <laughs> Mr. Noah, and keep going around your head. Okay? But what happens is the Lord has given you, the first time that faith is mentioned, it's about the part of your imagination. So the reason why you listen to the word of grace is it starts to paint pictures in your head. You actually see it, don't you? Or you should do. If this is true, then it's not what I see with my eyes, but what his promise says it is. So if I'm sick this morning, faith comes to believe because the word comes and says, he is your healer and he wants you well. And so you start to imagine, don't you? What would my life look like if that were true? Are you following me? And then it says, and all, all, all faith is doing is painting a picture of God's grace in your life. Painting a picture of God's grace over and over again because you don't operate in neutral. Every single minute of every day that you are wide awake, all right, somebody or something is trying to paint a picture in your head because if you can get the person's heart, so goes their life. And so faith comes to paint pictures of what grace says is true. We live by faith in what grace says. And then once those pictures start to come, once that imagination comes and you start to feel it, you go, flip, that would be brilliant. God says what? God says, well, over your life, you can be well, you can be blessed and favored. You don't have to live like you're the tail because you're the head, right? And you start to imagine it. And then what does he say in Romans 5? Well, then to access that grace, step in in faith. Do you see how it works? Faith demands a response to what grace has provided. And when we get blasé with it and we kind of go, yeah, whatever, and I've heard this before, quite frankly, we are walking in the natural by sight. And we need a revelation again of this incredible mess because there is no other gospel. And I'm not going to preach another gospel. There is no other gospel. There's no other message that will set you free today. Do you get that? Yeah. So we're called not to live by sight, but to live by faith. Faith in what grace can do. So the word comes, faith arises, paints a picture. You say yes and amen, and you positively respond to what God has said. And at any one of those steps along the way, you can go and quite frankly check out. But don't blame me. Don't blame the church. Don't blame God. Don't get cynical with the, with the gospel of grace. All right? Take your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, show me again where you need to. Do you get that? Let my revelation of Jesus be bigger today than simply just, you know, he's going to preach grace again. Because I don't know what you want when he preaches, no other gospel. Do you get that? And that's what we need to be really careful of.
when we come to, because I want to talk about, I'm going to talk about Noah for a couple of weeks, I hope, because it's amazing. Do you know everything I know is a picture of Jesus? So there's two tracks going to run this morning. Number one is this. Number one is there's going to be a word for you this morning because we're going to reveal Jesus in this story because everything from beginning to end points about Jesus and his revelation of grace and his finished work. But it's not just about you this morning, so don't get selfish and go, brilliant, just about me. There is something for the people around you because this is not just a story about bless me. This is a story about, Lord, as I receive it for me, you're also speaking to me about the people around me. Do you get that? So if you've got family this morning who are not walking with the Lord, then be encouraged. If you've got kids who are not where they should be today, be encouraged. If you've got friends who you would love to see, you know, have their lives transformed by the grace of Jesus, be encouraged this morning as we look at this story. Is that all right? We're ready to go, right? Open your Bibles at Genesis chapter six, and we're gonna get going. Um, because do you, do you know, our, our whole heart and spirit of the DNA of this church is grace. And that the first time that the word grace ever appears in the New Testament, or in the Bible, actually, not even the New Testament, just in the Bible, Noah found grace, it says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, in the eyes of the Lord. Now, the word Noah means rest. That's what his name means. And it's the first time we ever hear this word grace, kanen in Hebrew, and it means, well, we know what it means, but I'm going to go on to it. It's the first time it appears in the Bible in this verse. Now, let me just tell you about Noah, because there's such a picture of what it was like for Noah, and... Uh, what, what it's just like today, this is where you kind of go, see if the, you think the Bible makes no sense to you. Uh, just pick it up, what I would say is pick it up and read it occasionally, all right? Number one, there's a handy, your pastor's handy hint for one, number one, read your Bible, all right? Number two, you heard it here first, you'll actually get something from it. And then secondly, look for Jesus in it and the whole thing comes completely alive. Because Noah lived in the middle of the most heinously evil society. Do you know why we think people are crazy today? People don't know whether they're coming or going left or right, up or down, do you know what I mean? And we kind of think, oh, aren't the times terrible? No, they're not. I mean, I'm not going to go into it today, but you should read what was going on at the times of Noah. It makes this look like a playground, quite frankly. And so what happens is there's an incredibly evil society, but, you know, he, because Noah had found grace, it says in the Bible, it says, Noah found grace. That's why I preface my, my introduction today with what I said, because the language in Genesis 6, verse 8, you know, he finds grace in the middle of this really kind of messed up society, this really society which is turned upside down. And because of that, you know, and he, he, he escapes judgment and he actually is a channel of, of, of saving like a lot of people. Like we're here as a result. That's the bottom line. And the, the language of Genesis 6, 8 gives us insight into Noah's character because found is, is what's called a simple active verb. Do you know what that means? It's not a passive one. He didn't go, oh, grace, just come and wash over me. Do you get that? That's why I'm saying when, you, when faith comes in you, you've got you access grace by faith. It requires a response from you, not in order to get, but because he has already done. That's the point. And Noah, actually, at the very first mention of grace, you see this. It's not, oh, just grace will do everything. It's now that I have found grace, Lord, how do I step into that space to fully put myself in that flow of grace? Do you get that? I'm not earning it. I'm not performing for it. It's there for me. And the, at the very first mention of grace, that's what happens. Uh, Noah found it because why? He was actively looking for it. God's grace is always available. It's not hidden from anyone, but we, it, it, it is found. Do you understand that? You walk in, you go from grace to grace. 
Not by being passive and sitting back and going, but by saying, Lord, give me faith to see supernaturally what you have provided for in your finished work for me, for me and for my family. What have you provided, Lord? I want to see it more clearly and step into it. See, the bottom line is this, even in my life, when I first encountered the grace of God in a new way and in a fresh way, I could quite frankly have sat on my backside and gone, isn't this brilliant? Bless me, Penny, and the kids. Well, we didn't have the kids, but bless them because they were on the way, right? Do you know what I mean? And now that we've got them, bless them. But what did we do? We kind of went, Lord, if you're doing this in my life, I want as many people as possible to encounter the same grace that we found. So we got off our backsides and started a church. Do you get that? And a heck of a journey that has been. Ups and downs and everything else in between. But the faith, what grace did was demanded a response from us in that sense to go, if this is true in a world which is going to hell in a handcart, then my goodness. Like grace is brilliant until you need it. Healing is just a theological thing until you need it. And then you go, I can't earn it. I can't access it through any human effort, but I can receive it. Why? As a gift of God. Let me step into that. Anybody? You find grace. You don't earn it, but you, you actually what happens is as the word comes and it starts to play in your mind and in your heart, my response was I started to imagine a place where many thousands of people would connect with the truth that God loves them all the time to lift the shackles of religion and burden from them, to encounter in Belfast, not through the screen from some far-flung place in the world where it's great, but it's not gonna help you if your kids are sick on a Monday night at 11 o'clock. Like, who are you gonna phone? You're gonna go to your church. Do you get that? And the Lord loves the church. He loves the local church. And he wants a church of grace that is big and strong and powerful in this city and beyond. So when grace came to me, that's all I saw. Do you get that? Grace is found, it says, at the first mention of grace, it was not passive, it was absolutely active. Now, let's keep going, because I want to, is this okay? Oh, brilliant, well, I think it's awesome. That's why it says in Hebrews 4.16, come boldly, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, and what? And find grace to help in times of need. There is a throne of grace. There is a finished work for you and you come boldly to it. You don't be passive, all right? Don't be passive with it. Be bold with it. And you come and when you're boldly going towards grace, you'll find what you need. Because this world, right? It's interesting when I looked at the language here, um, God could have used a different, he could have used a very passive version of that verb and he didn't. It struck me this week when I was reading, I was going, flip me, you could have done this another way. You could have said, grace washed over Noah and he magically found himself in a place of blessing. But he didn't. Do you get that? He found it. I don't know about you, I want to find more grace. Anybody? I want to be passive with the greatest message ever. I don't want to be passive with my friends and family whenever their lives are tough and lives are hard and here's us sitting with the power of God. Like, come on. And what happens is here, it says that, you know, in, in the world of Noah was really wicked. And it, it kind of functioned quite like our ordinary world, right? And actually, Jesus actually used Noah as an example of how crazy stuff is. He says in, in Luke 17, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man, talking about Jesus. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given a marriage until 
that um, the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So what Jesus is saying is like, he's going like, like the comparison of the or, like end times judgment. If you want to know how crazy it is, look at what it was like in Noah's times. All right? And then there's this beautiful picture of grace in the middle of it all. And uh, Noah, I don't know if you ever watched the movie Noah, did you? It was a complete, it was nonsense. Like Noah's this kind of bumbling sort of Egypt. Actually, do you know what it says about him in the movie? It says that there's only two men mentioned in the whole world where it says that they, they walked with God. Does anyone know who the other one is? Enoch, right? And so you kind of go, okay, so he wasn't a bumbling idiot. But it says in, in Genesis 6, 9, he walked with God. And uh, in Genesis 5, 24, Enoch's taken up into God's presence without actually dying. And so what, what happens is he's actually a righteous man, it says. He preached righteousness. And so God chooses him to save the world out of his grace and mercy. I don't have time to go into why God had to, all right? Had to, why, why did he have to flood the whole earth? Like what, seriously, could you not have done something else? Well, there's a whole story about that. I don't have time for it. But trust me, it's, it's, it's quite interesting, but it would take about three weeks to teach it. Because what it's about is actually God was protecting the line through which Jesus would come. And that line had to be in place. And because of what was happening on the earth at the time, the line would not be. So he saved us all by this incredible act of grace and mercy so he could preserve the human race and fulfill the, prof the prophecy that the Messiah would come and crush the enemy's head. So that's, that's my introduction, right? So shall we get into it? Because you might not have thought of this before, but every single thing in this book and in, in this picture, every facet of the ark is a picture of Jesus and his finished work. You'll see this all the way through the word. All right? the, pi the pictures of arcs and things being put into them is a sign of safety and always a picture of Jesus. Even like Moses put into a basket into the water, he was safe and preserved. Do you get that? And so let's read about it. Noah begot three sons. I think that means he had them. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. This is uh, verses 10 through 14. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover. This is a word, kafar. Okay, you want to hold that word in your head. It inside and outside. You want to kafar it with kofar, K-O-P-H-E-R, all right? And so I'm literally going to list out for you how this paints a picture of Jesus for you today so that you can be really encouraged for you, but listen to what the Lord says to you in this so that you can be encouraged for your friends and for your family. Because in Genesis 6, 14, this, this word pitch is like asphalt. You know what you put on the ground? And it's like tar that we use in roads, and it's a glue that was used for making the ark. So cover kafar, okay? So the word for cover is put pitch all over it, all right? And pitch is kofar in, in, in Hebrew, as I've just said. Now, what's really interesting, this, this word kofar is really, the use of it is significant because it's diff different from the normal word that would have been used for pitch. Because the word, there was a word which was like the material stuff, and then he said, use this word kofar and put it on the inside and on the outside and cover everything with this pitch. And do you know what kofar means? It means atonement, right? You kind of think this was just practical, but it wasn't. It means it's the term that is used in the Old Testament for atonement, for covering your sin, so what it means is this picture on the inside and on the outside is going to be your atonement, your, your payment for all of your mess. You get that? 
So it wasn't just a very practical thing around what you would put on the ark, because this ark is a picture of Jesus. And from the inside and from the outside, what we, what we see is the first instruction is it's going to cover you on your inside stuff and on your outside world. You are going to be covered with an atoning work, with the work of Jesus for you. Is that okay? Have you got me? And what happens is the reason why you have to be covered on the inside and the out is because you'll see that the ferociousness and the divine fierceness, if you like, of God's anger is going to hit the ark but not one wave of judgment is going to touch those who are inside. Not one wave of it. Why? Because inside and out, you are covered from top to bottom with atoning work. It's a picture of Jesus. And the, are, you, are you following? So, so when you're in Christ, you're in the ark. Let's, let's read this. Psalm 42, 7 says this. All the waves and billows rolled over me, right? And this picture of it all came on Jesus. All, all the anger, all the wrath, all the punishment, all the judgment comes on Jesus and he takes it for us. Let's read in Genesis 6, 15. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits long, 450 feet. It'll be 50 cubits or 75 feet wide and its height will be 30 cubits, 45 foot high, right? Why 300? It's the, it's the biblical were biblical um, representation of victory as well as 17, okay? It's interesting, there was a, a group of South Korean physicists and scientists who a number of years ago, not Christians, just sort of geeky scientist type blokes, you know, big T-fall heads on them, and they were going, right, <laughs> for those of you who remember, right, if you're a scientist with a geeky head, I'm, I apologize. But uh, so what they started to do was they started to look at how, how the ark was built, and uh, if you want, I'll send you out the link this week because it's, it's nothing to do with, with Christians. They were just going, is this a pile of nonsense or would it have actually have floated? And it's actually built perfectly, absolutely perfectly um, in terms of being seaworthy. And they, they start to go into it all. You could fit like 2 million sheep in it. You kind of go, is it big enough? Well, it'll fit 2 million sheep at an average weight of 23.7 kilos. I've learned this stuff, right? So you're going, it's absolutely massive, but the, 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 the cubits and everything else, I don't want to get into too much detail, but it is a sign of victory, everything written by the Lord for victory, okay? And so it's the length of it cutting through the waves because it was built, the reason why it was long, do you want to just hear how the Lord designed this? If it had been any shorter, it would have been a really uncomfortable ride. So these these. Korean scientists went, well, if it was shorter, like a lifeboat would be, they're short so they can go through all the waves. Bigger boats cut through. So it was 300, which is a, a, the ideal length to cut through waves which hit a boat from every side. Listen to that. For the most amount of comfort possible. That's scientists today going, here, that's really clever. There's been loads of people who have tried to go, what the, what the heck? And if you go and read about it, every time they go, Flip, this was really smart. The way this thing was built was genius. Do you know the picture is for you and for your loved ones? Cutting through all the stuff, all the waves, all the, the other stuff. You in Christ are in the perfect place for your comfort, right? To cut through ideally everything that comes against you on every side. Okay. It says here then, you shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it uh, to a cubit from above and, the, and set the door of the ark on its side. You shall make it with the lower, second, and third decks, right? Lower, second, and third decks. Now, 
Why did God, remember Chris, this is rhetorical, why did God ask Noah to build windows only at the top? Chris likes to answer me when I ask rhetorical questions. But we have an agreement now, don't we? <laughs> why, why, why? So the Lord only says put the windows in at the top and have one door only and put it in the side. Remember, everything from the start of the word to the end of the word is a picture of Christ. Every single thing. Well, what we know is the, the, the reason why the windows are put into the top is because if the windows were in the side, what would you be able to see? All the water and the waves crashing. Have you seen those fo- photos of cruise liners when, you know, and people are sitting eating their tea and the flipping things going all crazy, right? And the windows are smashing off. So what did the Lord say? Keep your eyes off that stuff which is all around you. When the windows are on the top, what way is the only way that you can look? Up towards heaven, all right? The Lord doesn't want your eyes on the stuff that's crashing around you. That's the picture. The picture of Jesus is keep your eyes up, out of the way, and all of the stuff that's crashing around you, you're gonna go through it in victory. But I need you to keep your eyes up. I need you not to look at the things that are trying to, consume your time, your energy, your heart, and your attention, the things that are seeking to pull you away, keep your head up and don't go to the side. He then, um, he then says the, there's a soul door, right, that's on, the, on one of the sides. And, you know, I, I think this, you know, it's such a clear picture. I, I want to move on. It alludes to Jesus being the only door, number one, John 10, 9. But the location of the door is on the side, and it represents how Jesus, there was only one way to access grace, right? And the picture of the door is a picture of Jesus and his side and how he was pierced by a Roman soldier, okay? He's going to be pierced in his side, and salvation is going to flow. Blood and water is going to flow, okay? And so there's only one way in and out, in the side, the work of Jesus flowing out for you. Amazing, right? Let me keep going because it gets better and better and better. Why three stories? Well, if to a Hebrew mind, it's interesting. They talk about above the earth, on the earth, and below the earth. With a new covenant, um, with a new covenant lens on, on the picture, why, did G- why, why three? Why not five? Do you get that? Do you ever ask yourself, why do you only put three things in? You could have put 10 in. Like, flip me. I would have had loads in. You only needed 1.7 million species, by the way. I, it's, this stuff blows my mind. It's just crazy. You kind of go, that couldn't work. It actually does. Even the maths works. It's just bonkers. But there's the reason for three stories. It refers to her makeup. What's in, what's in the finished work of Jesus with only one way in or out? Your body, your soul, and your spirit. There's a supernatural, supernatural work that when you're in Christ accessed only through his work, it covers everything. It affects your body. It takes your your spirit and seals you forever and makes you perfect. It takes your mind and your emotions and your anxiety and your will and says no to fear, no to worry, no to all of that. It says put it into the ark because in there it's safe. It takes your body and puts it in the same place. There is nothing missing from, from God's work for you. That's the point. In the middle of a world that is going crazy, we need to let people know there is nothing missing in God's work for them. 
Every single bit of their life is covered by the work of Jesus. And it was all a work of grace. And from the very beginning, these stories are not to entertain the kids and to to sing lovely wee songs. They're to pull us back to every facet of the finished work of Christ so that faith comes and we then respond. Because I tell you this, do you know what I think about when I do this and you start to get into the detail of it and you start to go, this was like thousands of years like ago and how God knit all this together and wrote these details and with a, a natural mind, we, we, we go over the top of them. But then when we start to see Jesus and we, do you know what? We find Jesus, we look for him, we're active to go, where are you in this? All of a sudden it lights up like never before and it gives us faith for today. Because you know what I'm thinking when I read this? Lord, if you were in the detail of how this thing was put together, how long it was, how wide it was, how it was hard to look, what all of those details, my life is easy for you. <laughs> Anybody? Like, what the heck are you worrying about, folks? How he showed from the very beginning that he always had a plan, and the only plan in time was Jesus. And he hasn't changed that today. The only plan in town is Jesus and his finished work for you for your family, for your kids. It's not going to be found in anything else. From the very beginning, he, he starts to unroll it. You know, there's also, I want to talk to people for your families today as well, because there's a supernatural grace for your family, and I mean your entire family, to be saved and to be safe. <coughs> Genesis 7, as we read on, if you go to verse 15, it says, and they went into the ark, ark being the picture of Jesus, to Noah, two by two of all flesh, in which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God Elohim had commanded him. And the Lord Yahweh, two different words here used for Lord, shut him in. There's a really important thing here about what name of God is used at this point and, and for why. Because the name of God in this first Genesis seven sixteen is Elohim in the first part. And that means the creator. So talking about all flesh, the creator brings them in, okay? And then it says Yahweh, which is, the, which is the, the word that is used of God in covenant relationship, all right? So the creator brings them in, and then the other side of God, which is about covenant relationship, shuts the door on them and puts them in the ark. Do you know what that's, that's saying? It was God who shut Noah and his family in the ark, when, and God brings you in, and he closes the door, and if he closes the door, then you're safe inside, and there ain't nobody going to pull you out of it. Do you hear me? For you and for your family, there is a salvation in grace, which I believe you can hold to the promise that you and, like Penny and I prayed over our kids every day, our children, it says in the word, will be taught by the Lord. Do you get that? As for me and my house, what are we going to do? We're going to serve the Lord. Because what I see here, it wasn't just, and this is where, like, I want you to capture a bigger view of this this morning. It's not just about, oh, Lord, bless me. Isn't this great? I'm safe and I'm in the ark. He goes, yeah, Noah, you're in. Now bring your family. Because as I am providing this space in grace for them, then bring them, let them come. It's the first time that the word come is used in the Bible as well. There's, there's loads of first mention in this. And there's such wisdom for parents in this today. Put your kids in the hands of Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to his finished work. Bring them to his grace. That is our job as parents. Our job is not to entertain them, to keep them like the world does, spinning like plates with their arms filled with ever. All of that's good, and I am a parent myself. But you know what I realize here? Like for all of eternity, I want my kids found in grace. I, 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 I stand on this promise and I go, do you know what? 
I want my kids taught by the Lord in grace, in the promise, sealed and shut by God himself. Anyone? Grandkids, anyone? It's such wisdom for parents. Place your children in Jesus' hands first. And what he does, he will take it and multiply it with his wisdom and his grace. Because I'll tell you this, when you put them into that place, when you put them into grace, right? Marcel told me this years ago, and I never quite understood it, like, like I'm understanding it recently. The, the picture is this, when the, you, the one who created, like if we think about our children and we think about our grandchildren, the one who created them says, bring them, put them into grace. When I shut the door, when I seal them in that moment, there is not one bit of judgment that's gonna come near them. They're not gonna fall into the water and be drowned. They are safe in the ark. Amen? That's why there's only one door in and out. I have, you know, there's not 10 doors. <laughs> there's not 10 doors to salvation. Do you get that? There's not 10 doors to anything else. There's one, the finished work. And behold, the Lord says, how are we doing? Is this all right? I tell you what, I'm loving it. So frankly, if you're not loving it, suck it up, buttercup. Because <laughs> I just love this bit, this next bit. Let's go. And behold, it says here, Genesis 6, back to 6, 17, 18. I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything, on that is, everything that is on the earth shall die and I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. Do you know this is the first time as well in the Bible, right? When grace first appears, there's loads of firsts. Loads of firsts. It's the first time in the Bible that the word covenant appears. And there's significance in this first mention. God made a covenant with Noah. And that covenant was this. When a family member is saved, the rest eventually will be. Somebody say amen. If you, that does not go off in your heart for you and your loved ones. Let me say you again. The covenant that was made here is when one is saved, the Lord says the rest will be saved. They have, but what's the deal? They have to come into the ark. They don't get saved outside of the ark. They have to come into the ark. And I love this. Do you know, do you know why God saved you in the first place? Well, obviously because he loved you. Obviously because he doesn't want you to be lost into an eternity without him. Because he wants you to experience heaven and earth right now. But it also gives God the ability to work in your family. It gives you, God, the ability to work in your family and to bless those because of you. I, I, th I think, you know, God in his mercy, when he places you as a saved believer in grace into your family, it's because it makes it easier for the Lord to move in that family. Do you get me? That's, that's the picture here. I love that. Does anyone ever go, my family are flipping nut jobs? Anyone? I know I do, and I need to be careful because they're sitting here, some of them, right? <laughs> but at least they're saving in the meeting, most of them, right? But did you ever get that? Oh, they are beyond help. They are so far. I can never, do you know in the imagination of your heart, can you ever imagine them standing with their hands abandoned, worshiping the Lord? You go, not a chance. Anyone? That's why you come for faith to rise up in you and let the Lord paint the picture of what grace can do. Because nobody says over your family, right? That's why you bring your kids 
If, if something is painting a picture in your head of what's going to save your kids other than them being rooted and grounded in the grace of God, then think again. He says, bring them to the ark first. I will keep them safe from the world. Do you get me? Jesus keeps your kids safe. Nothing else. I will put them in safe. And do you know what? Because you are safe, then I'm going to work in your family and you can be rest assured that they'll be safe too. Ah, come on. That's a flipping great word. Hmm. Last two points. How am I doing? Alan, great. So, I just want to say this. Genesis 7 verse 1. The last point is this. Your, your, your salvation is eternal. and you're, you're safe in the ark. Let me just put it really simply for you. You're safe in Jesus. Do you know what's interesting? It's like... Um, in Genesis 7, 1 says this, then the Lord said to Noah, come, in, come into the ark, right? This is the first time the word come is used in the Bible. God beckons him, come to me, come to Jesus, come to the ark, you and all of your household, because I have seen that you're righteous before me in this generation. So righteousness is the door that opens because you're righteous, the Lord says, come and you're gonna be safe. And you know what's really interesting in that? I just wanna help. Do you know what's funny when you're in the ark? Because I, I imagine, I love, you know why I love boats and Penny hates them? Well, between you and me, I know she's not in the room. She's on youth this morning. I'm working on her. Do you know when she goes to bed at night? I play tapes in our bedroom. <laughs> you love boats. You love boats. You are a strong and confident sailor. <laughs> not a strong, confident woman, a strong and confident sailor. <laughs> she wakes up and goes, I have to quickly, I'm only joking, I don't do that. But I am working on her, right? <laughs> Definitely, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I, re I remember it cast my mind back to, because um, in a couple of weeks, I don't think we told you this, she bought me for Christmas, um, like, I'm going to go and do my license, boat lessons. Woohoo, fancy. So I'll be actually, like, after a couple of days, like, licensed to drive, I don't know what it is, like, seven or eight meters. You don't even drive them, do you? Pilot them. Jimmy, don't look at me. He's, Jimmy's looking at me with disdain right now. I'm going to park her up, no sweat, all right? And uh, I said to the, the, the woman who's running the course, I said, what kind of boat is this anyway? I said, because honestly, in my head, I, I'm seeing like Stenaline, so you just need to, you might need to do a wee bit of expectation management with me right now. She went, well, you're going to Loch Earn, so it won't be the Stena. I went, well, how big are we talking? She went, think of a rowboat, but a wee bit bigger. I was like, what? But I'm going to go and do it. You know, it's, uh, it's funny, but I, I cast my mind back to when I was doing this uh, well, the, the story that Penny tells, which she tells wrong, when she says I endangered the family, and I didn't, it was all fine, um, going across Lockern to Busty Leg Island, right, heading right across, and uh, <laughs> it was like that there, to be fair. Do you know what was really interesting? When, when you're doing that, what you realize, like, there was a couple of moments where I slipped and stuff, right, and the kids did, in amongst the tears and snotters, and uh, <laughs> we're all gonna die, <laughs> right? What about the dog? I was like, seriously? <laughs> right now, I'm not thinking about this dog, right? I'm sure they can swim, and if they can't, well, tough, right? And, um, but when you, when you slip and when you fall, you fall in the boat. Do you get that? We didn't fall outside of the boat. What I'm trying to tell you today is, no matter how many times you fall, no matter how many times you slip, no matter how, how many times you get it wrong, when you're in the ark, you fall in the ark. You don't fall out of it into the water of judgment. When that door came up and was closed by 
Yahweh, the God of covenant, the, the covenantal name of God. And he closed that door in the side. You can fall about, bang about, run about all you want, but you'll never be out of the ark. That is good news. For those of you who are always worried about, am I, how does the Lord feel? How does the Lord see me? Am I still in? Does he still love me? Does he still favor me? Does, when you're in the ark, you fall in the ark. You're eternal, uh, your, your salvation is eternal and it's secure. Right, let me just finish. This is the last bit. Are you feeling encouraged? I want you to feel encouraged for yourself, but I also want you to think about the people around you. I want you to have faith for them because there, there are no superfluous details in the Bible. Everything is significant. And in Genesis 8, 4, we see something that's incredible. It says here that, I'm not going to do the whole dove thing. I just want to get to the end, right? Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. So read that again. The ark rested in the 17th month, the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat, Genesis 8, verse 4. There's nothing insignificant here and everything points to Jesus. Now, how does this, what does this tell us about the finished work of Jesus and you're safe in it, etc.? What it tells us is something really incredible. Jesus, whenever he was crucified, if you go forward to Jesus, at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, he was crucified and then he rose again. How many days later? Okay, thank you. <laughs> but Jesus rose on the 17th day of the seventh month. Exactly on the same day that the ark came to rest on Mount Ararat. Now in Hebrew, the word to bless. Like just let me go over that again. The ark comes to rest on the very same day that Jesus rises again, the 17th day of the seventh month. Now, the word in Hebrew to bless is barach, right? And the word to curse is arar, all right? Now, the name ararat means the curse is reversed. So arar in Hebrew means to curse. Ararat, the name of the mountain, means on this place the curse is, is reversed, so what it means is everyone is born into cursed ground, but because of Jesus' resurrection, right now, you have landed on a place where the curse is reversed on the very same day that Jesus rose again. Incredible. Not one detail, detail superfluous to your life today. You know what that means for in real life for me? How does that build faith in me? Whenever I feel like things aren't going my way, and I go, flip it, you know, you ever say, here we go again. Just my luck, for goodness sake. You know, anyone? Flip me, I do. All right? It's almost like curse. It's like, a, you know, I would never say as boldly, oh, I'm just cursed. But uh, my, just my luck. Yeah? And then you catch yourself on and you go, well, how, how does faith rise in me to believe for more? Well, what the word says is, everywhere where I set my foot, the Lord says, the curse has been reversed. Why? Because it's the place where the finished work hit the earth. Every single place, the curse is reversed. I'm not under a curse. I'm blessed by God. I'm favored by God. I might be banging about sometimes, days in, up, days in, down, somewhere in between, but it's all in the ark anyway. 
I didn't fall out of the ark into judgment. Why? Because he sealed the door and kept me on the inside of the finished work. And because of that finished work where I'm touching right now, when that hits the real earth, that's the picture of you walking every day with you on the ground, like feet on the ground, stuff not head in the clouds, feet on the ground. You've got to remind yourself and build faith. The curse was reversed where I stand today. And that's your declaration. I absolutely love it. I think that, um, well, I love it anyway. Noah went out, it says Genesis 8, and the sons of, and his sons, this is them coming out onto, onto blessed ground, his sons and his wives with him, every animal, every creeping thing. <laughs> snakes, I just see snakes in that, it doesn't help me. And uh, I, discovered, I discovered there's snakes in England. It's just an, another excuse for me not to visit my in-laws, chalked up, but there you go. <laughs> I said to Penny, do you realize that there's snakes in England? I'll not be going. So there you go. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. That's a funny joke. That was a wee joke. Mm. They've, been, they've been biting dogs and small children, apparently, because in, in, of the warm weather. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. You know, do you know what I love about this? It's the, it's the word every. You know, just assumes that nobody was ever lost when they were in the ark. You can't perish when you're in the ark because you're totally saved. I hope that encourages you today. I hope it feeds you today. I hope you, you, you feel like, you know, when it comes to this incredible message of God's grace, over the next few weeks, I'm gonna, I've done like an introduction today to go, the purpose that God has you here for was for you, but it was for other people to come to encounter that place of safety in the ark. Everyone safe. Cutting through, right, judgment and all the other stuff, all the stuff that the Lord's, you know, was sending on the earth at that stage. Like if you just take that out and go, well, he's not judging us anymore, but we are navigating our way through some crazy stuff in this world, right? But you're perfectly safe in the ark. And you're not gonna actually find yourself out of it because there's nothing you can do to take yourself out of it because he sealed you. When you came to Christ, he put you in there and he's keeping you there. It's his work to keep you. And that's why Noah means rest. The picture over it all is, in a crazy world, I've got rest. Rest found grace in the sight of the Lord. Amen? Close your eyes and let's get ready for communion. Yeah, that, that is um, you know, amazing. Andrew said something at the start there that faith demands a response from that which grace has spoken. Um, we're we're going to take communion now, so if, if you want to just get your, your stuff, they'll be under your, under your seat. Um, stand on your feet if you can uh, during this. We'll, we'll go into the next song of worship as well. Faith demands a response. Whenever grace has spoken something over your life, it, it demands, and we'll respond now. But I want to encourage you as, as we take this, think about your life. Think about what you've just heard, that revelation that you're safe always in the ark. I love that. I love that imagery. If you can stumble around, you can make mistakes, but you never fall out. That is, it. there's, 
every message here every week is so encouraging, but there are sometimes something that every, every just couple of months just resonates with me. And I want to encourage you, hold that image in your mind today. That's a foundational truth that the world has no answer for, that some churches don't have an answer for. They can't grasp this. You are safe in the ark. That is so encouraging. Thank you so much for that, Andrew. So faith demands a response. And sometimes you're like, okay, how do I have faith for what this means for my life? Jesus says that blessed are those who believe and have not seen. See the way you can believe now? You never met Jesus when he was on the earth. You never saw him with your physical eyes. But we stand here every week and we hold this up. We say, Jesus, I visualize a picture's painted and I, and I remind myself you were there. Do that for your situation. I don't know what it's going to look like. But because we take this and we take the bread now, that we say, thank you, Jesus, for your body broken. I didn't see it, Jesus. I never saw your body broken, but I believe it happened. So therefore, I can believe what I can't see coming in my future. We say, thank you that wholeness is mine. Righteousness is mine. I can walk with boldness into my week because of what you've done for me. And that curse is reversed. Thank you, Jesus. We take and we eat. We thank you, Lord, for your blood shed for us. As far as the east is from the west, so the Lord has removed your sin from you. It doesn't touch anymore. It's gone forever. We say, thank you, Jesus. We are righteous. We have wholeness in mind and body. And because of that, I believe for my future. Because of that, I have a future, not just in eternity, but here I can experience heaven on earth because of what you've done. We take and we drink. Thank you, Jesus.